the presentation of anarchism, anarchism. as social philosophy which aims at the emancipation, economic, social, political, and spiritual of the human race. The emancipation. Anarchist Essays is brought to you by Loughborough University's Anarchism Research Group. For more information on the ARG, see the link in the show notes or follow us on Twitter at ARGLBORO. Uncharted Territory Thinking About Space Beyond the State by Anthony Ince. What if the state had never existed? Or, perhaps more believably, what if the state was understood widely as just one way in which humans were organising themselves and managing their resources and relationships in the current epoch? How would we feel? How would we act? How would we make sense of the world and our place in it? These might be speculative questions, but they're questions that anarchism, especially when read alongside geography, can provide some useful thoughts on. Myself, along with my friend and collaborator Hieronimo Barrera de la Torre, have spent several years asking ourselves these precise questions. But why might we ask these questions when the libertarian communist vision of anarchism often feels more distant than ever? Well, certainly does to me, anyway. And what use would that speculation be, anyway? There are a number of reasons why we might do this, and I'll just focus on two to kick us off. First of all, it helps scholars and activists to recognise how unnatural, in this, so to speak, the state is. How much it's an exception rather than the rule of complex human societies. This recognition encourages us to seek out non-state forms of organising and living in more fine-grained ways. Much like the feminist economic geography ideas of J.K. Gibson Graham, who implored us to reject what they called capitalocentrism and look for non-capitalist economic forms in everyday life, we too can look for non-statist institutional forms as inspiration, sources of hope, as a rhetorical tool in our propaganda perhaps, or indeed as warnings, because of course not all non-state forms are good or anarchistic. Secondly, thinking about the state as one of a plurality of socio-organisational forms also allows us as scholars to develop critical, analytical tools that don't rely on the state as the principal site and measure of society and space. As a geographer, this is especially important to me because so many data sources that we take for granted are shaped by the scale, the priorities and gaze of the state. Statistics are the most obvious example here, and statistical measurement of social phenomena is almost always structured according to nested scales defined by the state and its administrative regions, as well as focusing on the collection of data that would be first and foremost useful to the state. This means that the very tools we use to understand our world, as so-called scientists, are stamped from their very inception with the state's footprint. Also, as an anarchist, I'm also concerned that a lot of anarchist rhetoric uh, presents a rather simplistic view of the state as this all-powerful, unified and totalising behemoth 
that must always be resisted, but perhaps by implication can never really be overcome. So what Hieronimo and I are trying to do is firstly, uncover and demystify this statist imprint that pervades not only popular but also academic imaginaries. And secondly, to identify and develop tools and modes of understanding the world that don't simply resist or challenge this statist imprint, but actually articulate a geographical and political imagination that surpasses it. So today I'm going to talk a little about one fragment of this, using the example of territory, the state's measure of space par excellence. Geography has long been implicated in statist, capitalist and colonialist endeavours. Its origins are diverse, but its growth and institutionalisation around the height of European colonialism is no coincidence. Despite the undeniable influence of anarchists in early geography, uh, like Peter Kropotkin and Elise Reclus, many of the discipline's so-called founding fathers, such as Halford Mackinder, Thomas Huxley or Alexander von Humboldt, were at best comfortable with and at worst actively provided scientific justification for white supremacy, capitalism and violent state domination of populations in both colonies and the metropole. So in this context and the geopolitical context of struggles between colonial powers at the time, such as the scramble for Africa or the so-called great game in and around Afghanistan, it's unsurprising that the categories used to define and characterize space became primarily focused on calculable measurement for the purposes of navigating, exploiting and governing newly conquered territories. Territory was and remains a central means through which state space is identified, codified in laws and reproduced in everyday life. Geographers have typically thought about the state as a relatively neutral container of political actors rather than a political agent or set of agents in its own right. And likewise, state territoriality, along with its various forms of porosity and grey areas, is well researched by geographers, but the state itself has remained curiously immune from most critiques. Geographers tend to criticise specific policies or governments without zooming out, so to speak, to interrogate the state system that feeds and sustains them. In Stuart Eldon's uh, 2013 book, The Birth of Territory, he argues very convincingly that European Enlightenment thinking conceived of space for the first, for the first time as geometric, calculable and quantifiable. Developments in cartography, mathematics and engineering emerged alongside a wider philosophy of knowledge and reality that was premised on this quantifiable and crucially territorial understanding of the world and its geographies. Through this thinking, the earth could be separated neatly into sovereign, self-governing portions of land and sea. In other words, what we now consider to be the modern state system. Eldon's text was a watershed moment for understanding this intellectual history and um, by association, also the capitalist, colonialist and state-building politics that aligned with it. Nowadays, many geograph 
cinematographers and others, of course, use territory as a notion to explain various dynamics of states. That might include geopolitical conflict and diplomacy, uh, matters of devolution or independence movements, or more day-to-day -day matters of regional policymaking, urban planning law, or redrawing the constant, seemingly constant, redrawing of electoral boundaries. This legalistic, calculable understanding of territory is extremely helpful for explaining these things that are intimately connected to the logics and operations of the modern state. However, a straightforward or unquestioning adherence to this understanding is problematic, because it doesn't account for two main issues, among others. First of all, the state is not a singular, strategically-minded, legal and institutional actor that operates, nor even originates, in perfect unity. In fact, actually, in fairness to us, most geographers and other social scientists accept this implicitly, even if they don't explicitly act on it to the extent that I would like to see personally. Now, I won't go into depth in this short time, but it's worth noting here that Hieronimo and I uh, consider the state broadly to be the aggregated effect of a range of both conscious and unconscious factors, uh, adaptations, unlucky accidents or lucky accidents, affects and emotions, power grabs, compromises, visions, and sometimes, quite often, mistakes. A lot of these have been exerted or coordinated by religious, military, economic or political elites from above, others from more ambiguous positions in pre-state or non-state power structures. Sometimes they've been executed with precision and effectiveness, and at other times in a rather more slapdash, uneven or imperfect way. This process has generated a broadly unified geographical imaginary and set of operational logics, yes, but in practice it is, frankly, a complete and utter mess. So the idea that there is a singular unified way of doing a territory according to an equally singular and unified state form is empirically dubious at best. Secondly, orthodox treatments of territory risk giving total agency to statist imaginaries and practices and tend to downplay other formations of territoriality that operate independently of the state, often in conflict with it and sometimes with strong anarchist influences. Think about commons, squats, think about barricades or blockades or lock-ons, think about Rojava or the autonomous Zapatista territories. These are all territorial practices and manifestations because they demarcate an identifiable piece of land and assert a certain form of sovereign control over it. But these territorializations operate quite differently from the state power is diffuse and usually has no identifiable centre. Principles and practices of self-management or autonomy are often at the core of how they organise, how they constitutionalise and institutionalise within and through the territory. Sovereignty in these forms is not legislated or militarised and in fact more often a kind of counter-sovereign self-determination emerges through their leaky borders. Now, of course, we can't say that all non-state territorialities are good or anarchistic, as I've already mentioned. Many are quite the opposite. For example, right libertarian, techno-capitalist utopias 
or more ordinarily perhaps, uh, the territorial expressions of uh, vigilante groups, far-right militias and drug cartels. But in any case, a number of geographers have sought to reclaim territory from the state. And think about it as something that is exhibited in state forms and in non-state forms. In fact, often simultaneously and in conversation or conflict with one another. This is a promising development, I think, but there remains work to be done, not only because this is just one niche concept among many far larger ones, but also because much of this work on territory is yet to expand the critique of statist territory to a critique of statism more generally, in our ways of seeing the world and understanding our place in it. And this is what Hieronimo and I are trying to do in our work. How do we develop what we call, personally, uh, post-statist imaginary? So I'll try now to sketch out a few of our ideas. A useful place to start is by establishing the kind of relationship between statist and what we are calling post-statist imaginaries. This we consider to be broadly dialectical and a constant tension between canonical and apocryphal imaginaries. And this distinction can help us to find the tools to recognize the contingency of the state, to deny statism the certainty the permanence and ubiquity that it has enjoyed over the last 300 years. In the Bible, the canon is a discrete and largely unchanging set of sacred texts that form the basis for religious teaching. The establishment of a canon was in many regards less about theology itself and more focused on establishing a centre of theological power that would act as a reference point for normative codes and the day-to-day -day application of theological authority in people's lives. This process later proved essential as Christianity grew and expanded spatially across Europe because a stable and bounded canon could also perform an important disciplinary function in the process of converting spaces of religious enlightenment into territories of theocratic control under the yoke of the Holy Roman Empire. But in the process of establishing a canon, the Apocrypha were born. Often the Apocrypha are viewed as heretical, even fanciful texts, um, because they contain their own narratives and accounts of commonly accepted stories. So their very existence stands to question the entire basis of the canon's authority. Apocrypha therefore serve a reflective function on the canon. Their existence and persistence challenges the certainty of the canon and creates a tension between the idealised eternal image of canonness and the messy realities of history and the present. So the establishment of a canon is a powerful parallel to the invention of the modern Westphalian state and the birth of statist territory. In contrast, the persistent presence of the Apocrypha in its shadow serves to trouble its narratives, its certainty, its stability and its centrality as the pivot around which the entire, in this case, Christian cosmology is constructed. Put, put more simply, in, in, in terms used um, by Kropotkin in Mutual Aid in a little side note, the Apocrypha is the barbarian to the canon's Rome. It's an irritant that simply by existing undermines the foundations of the dominant order with its own dispersed and transversal logics. I could continue here, but suffice to say, it's the same tension that connects and contrasts the statist imaginary and the post-statist ones. 
understanding these dynamics can shed light on how canonical knowledge is formed and defended, and how other narratives can be forged and expanded. One example is through mythology, which in colonised and post-colonial contexts has often been shown to be a powerful means through which Eurocentric statist and capitalist worldviews have been challenged and at times overcome from below. Of course, also, European societies, the belly of the beast, so to speak, have their own mythologies, some of which may be useful in decentering the state, if we can wrest them from the clutches of right-wingers, traditionalists and right white supremacists. So how could we put this into practice? Uh, one of the ways Hieronimo and I have been doing this is through emphasising analytical categories that don't neatly conform to state territoriality. As we've seen, territory is a concept that's contested and undergoing somewhat of a revival in ways that don't fully conform to a state-centric approach. In addition, concepts like landscape, region or ecosystem have limited appeal in statist thinking because they're generated from below through everyday practices, and not only by humans, but also ungovernable or, or, or even feral non-human agents of change. They tend to have no inherent judicial or legalistic boundaries, except those imposed upon them from above, such as classifications like national parks or city regional administrative areas. This is a tension much like the one between the canon and the apocrypha. The immeasurability of landscape, as the earliest, early anarchist geographers like Reclus were keenly aware, allows it to confront the analytical usefulness of the God's eye view of the territorial map, simply by existing and persisting in spite of canonical state-centric state calculation. Consider the region. If you ask anyone to identify what region they live in, they're likely to give a slightly or even quite significantly different answer to the state that governs that region. Um, as the anarchist surrealist uh, Max Caffard notes, and I quote, regions have no borders, no boundaries, no frontiers, no state lines. Regions are traversed by a multitude of lines, folds, ridges, seams and plates. The state is a parasitical growth on the region, something exterior, hostile and threatening. It has no life of its own, but drains its vitality from the living community." End quote. Here, Cafard identifies uh, the epistemic violence inflicted on us by statist thinking, by suggesting that it steals our words. Cafard highlights how statism shapes even our description of what's around us. So it can be useful ident to identify categories of measuring and understanding space, categories that are already widely used in geography and far beyond, in fact, that are an affront or an irritant to the state's efforts to calculate and quantify it according to its particular agenda and gaze. The more we use these and the more we challenge the state's definitions of these terms, the more we can develop imaginaries and analytical frameworks that exceed the state's canonical grip on geographical space and its meaning. These are useful analytical concepts to valorise more actively, but they might sound all rather academic at this stage. At the same time, they can be brought into our organising, um, perhaps, for example, quite simply, uh, as the development of groups, or collectives or federations that don't neatly follow state-defined borders, but instead operate according to more socio or socio-ecologically logical patterns. 
For example, the Iberian Anarchist Federation, which was of course a central player in the anarchist revolution during the Spanish Civil War. It refused to be strictly associated with the state of Spain or Portugal, but instead recognised the Iberian Peninsula to be a functionally interconnected whole. This prefigured perhaps, um, perhaps imperfectly, um, what life could be like beyond the states in question. A stateless, federated Iberian region with no hard or identifiable borders within it. The key thing is to recognise not state borders, but regional identities that generate geographically rooted forms of meaning and belonging in other ways, but without circumscribing them according to ethnocentrism or such problematic matters like that. That might be a topic for another podcast. But to round up, I'm suggesting here that despite the state's messy, contested and internally fractious reality, it has produced a certain unified spatial imagination that has real world effects that even anarchists and geographers are not immune to. These effects are both academic or analytical and lived. My work with Hieronimo Barrera de la Torre has been not only to resist this understanding of space, which itself is useful, but also to think about alternative spatial imaginaries that challenge the state's canonical grip. Now, I don't for one minute believe that simply reframing our spatial imaginary and using different words in different ways will radically transform our world on its own. But it is one small building block that can help us anarchists to start thinking and acting boldly towards more anarchist orientated ways of understanding the geographies of our world and acting and organising in it. Thank you for listening. To help others find Anarchist Essays, please rate and review us wherever you find your podcasts. And if you're interested in anarchist ideas, why not check out the journal Anarchist Studies? For over 20 years, Anarchist Studies has been publishing original research on the history, theory, and practice of anarchism. For more information, visit www.lwbooks.co.uk forward slash anarchist studies.